All right, so Genesis chapter 16. What is that? Dana is not going to be here today. She had to go to Nashville for work. <laughs> yeah, okay. You better hold on that. You give it to me, I'll lose it. It don't really have to be in the day. We just told the kids that so they would get it in. All right, Genesis chapter 16. Um, Genesis 15, we're coming off the heels of what? What happened in Genesis 15? Abram. He split the animals. That's right. He made God made a covenant. God for, actually formalized the covenant with Abram, saying you would have, uh, you know, he told him what's going to happen <coughs> as far as uh, your people are going to be enslaved in Egypt. And then I'm going to bring them out 400 years. They're going to come possess this land. And God walked through the pieces himself, making the covenant you know, um, yeah, make it legitimate, but made it all dependent upon God and not dependent on Abram. Uh, now, as we come into chapter 16, what we're going to see at, up to this point, uh, we've seen Abram growing in his faith. He didn't start out as Mr. Super Faith. You know, he he uh, had to grow just like all of us have to grow. And um, coming off the heels of this uh, <coughs> this. Uh, Wonderful experience, I guess, of God revealing himself to Abram and telling Abram what's going to happen and making this covenant with Abram. You would think Abram would be on a high and he would be, you know, fired up, ready to serve God and to to walk in his faith and all that. But in chapter 16, we're going to see Abram. Uh, he, he fails again. He fails a test of faith again. He does something really stupid. And I want you to see before we even begin everybody in this text is wrong in one way or another. So we're going to look at Hagar, we're going to look at Sarah, we're going to look at Abram, we're going to look at all that happens. Everybody is wrong. I mean, there's no, the only good guy in this text is God. Everybody else is, is doing absolutely what they should not be doing. Uh, and the point of the text, I'll just tell you where we're going so you know when we get there, is... What they what they're doing is Abram and Sarah are waiting for God's promise. I mean, they've been waiting for a long time. They've been in the land about 10 years now. It's going to say that in this text uh, and still no son, uh, still no heir, still no. You know, God's God's making all these promises, but I'm not seeing any kind of fulfillment anywhere. You know, and so we're just we're just waiting. They're waiting, waiting, waiting. And so when an opportunity presents itself for them to <coughs> help God with help God fulfill his word by using worldly schemes, they jump on it. They jump on it and they try to fulfill God's word. They try to fulfill the promise of providing a son by doing something that is not ordained by God, is not good. But they're thinking the ends justify the means. You know, as long as as long as we get a son out of this thing, uh, however it happens, it's going to be fine. And instead of waiting on God, waiting on God's promise, waiting on God's word, they jump in and try to fix it themselves. You got any fixers in here? Y'all want to, when something goes on, you want to fix it? Sometimes it's best to trust and just wait, wait on God. Wait on the Lord is over and over again you see in the Old Testament. So it's, it starts out, there's two sections, I think, uh, verses 
maybe one through one through six talk about the problem, what happens, and the rest of it is going to be God appearing to Hagar and giving her promises, which is really amazing to me. Uh, it says the first two verses it says now Sarah's wife. I keep saying Sarah. That's probably Sarai, but you know I'm going to say Abraham. I'll be glad when we get to chapter 17. That's where he <laughs> changed his name to Abraham, so I can start saying Abraham instead of Abram. Uh, now Sarah, Abram's wife, bore him no children, and she had a handmaid, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. Where did she get an Egyptian from? When they were in Egypt. Yeah, when when Abram disobeyed and went to Egypt. That's right. And Sarah said unto Abram, Behold now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go into go in unto my maid. It may be that I may obtain children by her. And Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarah. So think about this. Now Abram has just come out in chapter 15 of God giving him a promise. Remember God said, Abram said, God said, I'm going to give you, you're going to be the father of many nations. And Abram said, well, how do I know? I don't even have a seed. This guy, Eleazar, my servant, he's going to be my heir. And God told him specifically, he said, no, Eleazar is not going to be your heir, but one that comes out of your own body is going to be your heir. He says, Abram is going to have a biological son, but Sarah is nowhere mentioned in that. So it could be, and I'm just kind of using a little imagination, it could be that Abram comes home and he's, you know, he's excited. Hey, I'm going to have a son out of my own body. It's going to be a biological son that I'm going to have. And that's going to be the promised heir. That's going to be the one God's going to work through. And Sarah is thinking, well, he didn't say nothing about me. You know, and so, uh, you know, that kind of stinks. And so, Rather than trusting God and waiting on God, um, Abram or Sarah has this has this idea. You know, I tell you what, I got this I got this servant girl. Her name is Hagar from Egypt. You remember Egypt when you know you got paid for selling me out and sending me to the Pharaoh's harem. You remember that? Uh, yeah, I remember that. Well, we got this girl. Uh, why don't you go and? You know, get busy and have a have a baby with her and I'll have a child. Now, for us, that sounds absolutely scandalous. And I'm Hagar, which is going to turn this child over to her. Well, that's the thing. There is some evidence. Um, there's some evidence in uh, archaeological evidence in Mesopotamia there where. Um, it, it was a custom. It was an understood custom that if a mistress was barren, if a, the, the wife of a lord was barren, she could give a slave girl to her husband and any children that the slave girl bears would be the legitimate children of the mistress. Does that make sense? That was that's, So if, if uh, Dana's in Nashville today, so I don't have to worry about her in here. But if I said, if I mean, if to think Dana would say, Jason, I can't have any kids. So take this girl next door and go have. I mean, y'all thinking like, absolutely not. I will kill you. You know, you understand? That is just so scandalous to us. But in this day, that was a common practice. It wasn't right. And we're going to see God judges them for it. It wasn't right, but it was a worldly practice that was going on. So what you see is Sarah. It was like a surrogacy, though. I mean, it was. It was. Today's standards, people don't look down on surrogacy. They look at it as, you know, oh, that's just awesome and sweet. That's that's true. It was it was like being a surrogate mother, except 
Um, physicality was different. Well, yeah, that. But this slave girl became like it. It was all. It would almost be like a second wife, but not as it'd be like a concubine. You know, yeah. not at the same level as the wife, yeah. but just right up under. So that's where it's going to say that he takes her as his, his wife. You know, and, and it, it's almost like this slave girl becomes Hagar becomes. Uh, <laughs> she is taken into as kind of a second class wife, second class, you know, whatever. And the children that she bears would rightfully be Sarah's children. Okay. That's the custom. That's not what's going to happen, but that's the custom. And so what you see here is instead of trusting God, instead of waiting on the promise of God, Sarah is taking this worldly custom of all these people that are around them in the land that they live. And they're saying, Hey, let's do this. And you'll have a son and God's promises will be fulfilled and I'll basically what she's saying is adopt this son and he'll be our son and it's almost like if you read the text there that we read in the first two verses it's almost I, I can't prove it but it's almost like Sarah's blaming God for her barrenness it says did you see it in, in verse 2 it says Sarah said to Abraham behold now the Lord has restrained me from bearing now in one sense God is in control we saw that over and over again uh, with uh, uh, you know, Hannah and, you know, we're going to see it again of all the barren women in, in the Bible and, and God is in control of the womb. We understand that. But it's almost like her tone here, if I could judge her tone from, you know, 4,000 years later, it's almost like she's blaming God. So, you know, God has restrained me. God is keeping me from having kids. So let's take this worldly, let's take this worldly um, uh, practice and let's just get it done ourselves and just be done. Why wait? Why wait on God to do what he's going to do? He really didn't include me in the covenant anyway. My name's not mentioned. It just said uh, one's going to come from your body. So maybe he intends us to just use this, this worldly means. Is it right for her, for Abram, even in the day that he lived, to take a second wife or concubine? No. We saw that in Genesis chapter 2. Not God's intention for marriage. And it never will be. You'll see it over and over and over again in the Old Testament, in the culture of the time. Men took bunches of wives and they will always, they will always suffer consequences for it. It's never condoned in Scripture at all. In fact, Jesus in the New Testament says it was not so from the beginning. But you have you not read God said that a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and become one flesh. So it's never condoned in Scripture. So basically they're saying, let sin so good will come out of it. I would imagine they feel pressure because of their age. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, we're running out of time. At this time, it's going to tell us here in a minute that they'd been in the land of Canaan for about 10 years already. And God called uh, Abram at 75, so that means now he's 85. You know, And to be honest with you, I'll give you a sneak peek into next week. It's going to be 99 before he actually does have a son. So God made a promise and reaffirmed the promise and made the covenant and reaffirmed the covenant. And Abram waits like 23 years before he actually sees the fulfillment of the promise, sees any kind of son. And so they're getting old. They need to hurry up. You know, you're running out of time. I don't know how y'all would feel if you're 85. You, know, you put in the outline, and I, I, I had to read it four or five times just to kind of meditate on it. You said, what does this say about the condition of Sarah's heart? As Abram has just had validation of his promise from God. 
you know, in, in, in the way that we have been taught and preached to, you know, when a husband and man are married, they become one. So I can imagine in, in her in her thought process, she feels very alone. She feels abandoned. You know, because everything is being told to Abram, and if he wants to share from God, he can. If he don't, he ain't got to. Yeah, yeah. And you probably get a sense of that when, I mean, God has just promised Abram that it's going to come from your body. And the next thing Sarah says is God has prevented me from having kids. You know, and so I could see that. I could see that very well. Um, They probably, I, I get the feeling like they're thinking... The end justifies the means. You know, we we have to have some kids. This is necessary for us to do. Um, does God, God out. huh? They're gonna help God out. They're gonna help God out. Does God need us? Does God expect or want us to sin so that good would come from it? No. So sin so that uh, so that we can keep uh, some a promise that He has said. Sin so that you know uh, God's will will be done or what we think God's will will be done. Absolutely not. The end never justifies the means. Never, never. The ends never justify the means. I remember talking to a guy, you know, and you probably have lots of examples like this. You, you know, and I asked him, I asked him, I said, do you think God would want you to do this? He said, absolutely not. He said, but this is what is necessary for me to, for, for me to feed my family. And I'm thinking, well, I mean, God has pretty much promised to give you, you know, to meet your need according to his riches and glory. And so... Uh, I don't think it's necessary for God. The ends are, don't justify the means. We, we do not sin so that good comes from it. We do not sin so that good results in it. They should have waited on God. And it's amazing to me that last part of verse 2 where it says, And Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarah. It's like, didn't you just leave God's presence? I mean, didn't you just leave God's presence where he made a promise to you that it would come? And you know good and well that this is not God's will for marriage. You know good and well that, you know, taking some concubines on the side, it may be worldly. It may be worldly expedient, but it's not God's way. Uh, I mean, didn't you just leave? And here he is. Okay. You know, maybe Hagar was hot or something. He's like, okay, I'll do that. You know. Bit. Uh, they falling back in the deal with Adam and Eve. It's exactly. Thinking about when, when this happened. You know? It's exactly. Billy, you don't even know how right you are. It's exactly that. If you look at verse 3, it says, Adam hearkened to the voice of Sarah. Verse 3 says, And Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the servant, after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan and gave her to her husband Adam to be his wife. Those are the exact same words that are used in the fall, in the garden. Eve took of the fruit and gave to her husband who was with her and Adam listened to his wife. It's exact same phraseology. So what you see is Abram, has he's gone down the road a while and he's grown in his faith. But he is still, he's still maturing in his faith. He's still growing. He's still capable of sin. He's still capable of doing the exact same stupid thing that Adam did in the garden. Did she become his wife? Um, I think it says that. 
Look at the end of verse 3. Verse 3. Yes, he did. I knew it said it somewhere. It says, Say, And Abram had dwelt with her, and Abram's seraph wife, and he took her her to her husband, Abram, to be his wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And we'll stop there because that's into a new section. Um, yes, that I think, I, I believe that they were trying to follow this worldly custom of taking a surrogate wife to have children when the mistress was barren. Uh, the mistress was barren. Yeah, the, uh, the Sarah, the wife is what I'm saying. The, when I say mistress, I'm not saying like chick on the side. I'm saying the woman of the house. The woman of the house is the mistress. You know, like she is the she is the wife wife. She is the one the woman that the, all the slaves are subject to. And uh, the other one is going to be we would call it kind of a. We would call it probably a concubine, you know, a surrogate wife, a surrogate wife. And it's interesting. It's interesting because uh, Sarah is going to get really ticked off when what she wanted actually happens. She's going to get ticked off when Hagar gets pregnant and Hagar starts to treat her bad. And uh, uh, she is we're never going to see her actually claim Ishmael for her son. And. When the angel of the Lord, it's a whole lot we got to get to. When the angel of the Lord comes to Hagar, he's not going to call her Abram's wife. He's going to call her Sarah's servant. He says, Hagar, Sarah's servant. And so uh, I, I don't think, I think that they're trying to do this sinful, worldly, they're trying to use this sinful worldly custom in order to help God fulfill his promise and it's going to completely backfire and it's going to blow up in their face and the end result is God is going to bless Hagar and there's going to be a whole nation of people that are going to be a thorn in Israel's side from here on out you know yeah still is and so this is what they were doing the folly the folly of Abram it, it I cannot believe, I can't believe. I mean, you ever been in one of them situations like where I, I was in it last year? You know, we were like, okay, me and Dana decided we're not going to get each other Christmas presents this year, right? Don't don't ever fall for that, guys. What's wrong with y'all? You crazy? You know, don't do that. Uh, we we did, we was like, and you know, I'm, I'm the kind of person, if I want a Christmas present, I'll go buy my own, you know, and I, I tell her, you know, go get you what you want. If you want a Christmas present, go buy the thing. Well, you need me to wrap it up for it. Go get what you want and go. I mean, we grown, we can, you know, if I want a Christmas present in June, I'll go get that joker, you know what I mean? And so, and so that was the deal, okay? Well, we said we're not going to get Christmas presents, we're just going to buy for the kids, we do all that, that's good, you know, whatever. And then, like, it's this is going to be, January the 3rd or something. We're, we're fixing to go to bed. we laying in the bed and she's playing on her iPad and something. I said something smart or something. And she said, well, at least I thought about you at Christmas. You know, she got me to something. And I was like, well, you said, well, you don't always go by what I say. <laughs> and this is the first time you listen. What? And I was like, okay, all right, stop. We flipped the light on. Let's get on Amazon. We're going to buy you. A no, no. We're finna buy you a Christmas present. Oh, no. You're going to pick something and we're going to get it in the mail right now. It's coming. She ended up buying some kind of massager set that sits in the chair, you know, like a chair massager deal. That joker in the closet four days later, never looked at it again. So anyway, I can't see. Abram is like, Abram is like, his wife's like, hey, here, take my servant and y'all go, y'all go have a baby. 
You know, and Abram's like, okay, <laughs> what do you think was going to happen? What do you think was going to happen? And so she conceives, verse 4, he went into Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, this is where I get the mistress thing. Her mistress was despised in her eyes. Talking about Sarah. Sarah is, Hagar's the slave. Sarah is the mistress over the slave, the, the wife over the slave. And when Hagar realized that, you know, she is now the... The surrogate, really, and they have no heir, they have no seed, they have no, you know, Abram's this rich guy. She starts looking down at Hagar, uh, at, uh, at Sarah. She starts, you know, you, pride swells up in her. You can see her, you know, Abraham, Abram needs me now. You know, he needs me, you know. You old barren woman, you know, uh, you know, you can see her at the breakfast table like, whoo, I sure got to eat a lot today because I'm pregnant. You know how it is. Oh, wait, you probably don't know how it is to be pregnant. You know, you can imagine Hagar is doing all she's she is she is laying it on thick. And Sarah gets mad. Of course, she gets mad. Now, you need to understand everybody's at fault here. Sarah is at fault because she come up with this scheme. I mean, what do you think? was going to happen. Abram is at fault because he listened to his wife and went along with this after God had made, uh, you know, the promise to him. And Hagar is at fault because her pride swelled up in her and she started, she started rebelling against the household, you know. And so all this is going on. She's rubbing Sarah's nose in it. And what does Sarah do? Of course. Yeah, she does the thing that all y'all women do. She blames her husband after her idea. You know, she says, Sarah said to Abram, my wrong be upon, uh, unto, upon thee. I've given my maid into thy bosom. And when she saw that she had conceived, I was despising her eyes. The Lord judge between me and you. Now, Sarah, you got exactly what you wanted. Hagar conceived, she's going to have a son. You got exactly what you want. Is it right for her to blame Abram? No. No, she should blame herself. It's, well, here's the thing. He's the leader of the house. It's not, it's not really, her, her motives for blaming Abram are not righteous. And it's not right. It was her fault. But it was also Abram's fault. Because he's the leader of the house. He's the patriarch. He's the one that was given the promise. He's the one God appeared to. He's the one that should have said, no, 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 no. We're not going to do that. We're not going to do that at all. We're going to wait until for God's time. And you know, God is God. and He made a promise. And if he's going to keep his promise, then you are going to have a son. And so we're not going to worry about all this concubine stuff. We're not going to worry about taking. He should have, he should have done that. Now, Abram is being blamed here because Hagar is mistreating Sarah. And so even at this point, Abram should have stepped up and said, now, Hagar, you remember this household? This is my, well, this is my wife. You're going to treat her with respect. You're going to, he should have stood up for his wife. What does Abram do? He tells Sarah to deal with it. Yeah, absolutely nothing. He shirks his responsibility as leader of the house. He doubles down on his stupidity, if you want to ask me. He says, he says, but Abram said to Ari, behold, thy maid is in thy hand. Do to her as it pleases thee. You handle this mess. I ain't let... I'm busy. I got cows to milk. I got camels to sell. I got whatever it was Abram was doing. I'm busy. She's in your power. Go do what you want. Now, some people take this to mean this was her, Hagar, being demoted. You're no longer a second wife. You're no longer concubine. You're back to being a slave. Back to being a servant. I tell you what, Abram says, okay, this is what we'll do. 
You let her go back to being your slave and you just do with her what you want to do. And what does Sarah do? She treats her horribly. She treats her, she despises her. It says, uh, and I was despised her as by Abram said, do with what you want. And when Sarah dealt hardly with her, uh, she fled from her face. Now, Sarah comes and she says, ha, you are back to being a slave. Pick up my shoes. Bring me my stuff. You know, you, whatever. I don't know what we did. But you need to remember that word, that deal hardly with her. That means she oppressed her. She, that is the same word that's used in chapter 15 where God tells what the Egyptians are going to do to Israel. They, they oppressed them. They, they subjected them. They, they afflicted them. She was doing to Hagar. She was doing to the Egyptian Hagar what the Egyptians were going to end up doing to Israel when they were slaves to Egypt. She was oppressing it. And so what happens? Hagar takes off. She takes off and, 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 and flees the whole situation. She leaves. She heads back toward uh, Egypt. Um, now our response, what would Abram and Sarah's response be? So what? It's just a slave girl. Who cares? I mean, she's not part of the covenant line. She's not part of the seed. She's not part of the covenant family. You know, who gives a rip about the slave girl that takes off in the middle of the night? Who cares? God's promise is just left too. The reality is God cares. And God is going to come to her in the wilderness, even though she's not part of the covenant family. She's not had the baby then, now, has she? No, not yet. She is, it says in verse 7, And the angel of the Lord found her by a fountain of water in the wilderness, by the fountain in the way of Shur. Shur, you're going to find out if you look, it's on the outline. There's a few verses that talk about Shur being east of Egypt. And so she has now, this is a long way. She has come out of Canaan, away from Abram, and where is she heading? She's heading back home. You know, remember, she's an Egyptian handmaiden. She's going back to Egypt. Now, this, this slave girl who didn't take any food with her, is marching down this dangerous wilderness of animals and robbers. She's pregnant, you know. She's, she has gone all the way. She's gone all the way to, towards shore, which is close to Egypt, east of Egypt. And the angel of the Lord finds her in the wilderness. Now, this is important. Now, you need to understand this. I don't know if we'll have time to get to everything, but when you see the angel of the Lord... In the Old Testament, almost always that's referring to the second person of the Trinity, the Son. Uh, when you see the angel of the Lord, and even here, uh, you'll see uh, this quote-unquote angel of the Lord that finds Hagar. He speaks as God. He says, I will bless you. I will make you a multitude. I will bring nations of you. When you see the angel of the Lord in Exodus chapter 3, it's the angel of the Lord that appears to Moses in the burning bush. And that quote-unquote angel of the Lord says, I am that I am. You tell them I am sent you. Uh, over and over again, you see the angel of the Lord appear, but he speaks as the Lord. He speaks and gives the promises of the Lord, takes on the responsibilities of the Lord. It is, uh, it is it, I think it's 1 Corinthians chapter 10 that says it was in the wilderness where it was Christ that was following them. It was Christ in the pillar of cloud. It was Christ in the, in the, in the pillar of fire crossing through the water. And so what you see here is this 
captain of the Lord's army that comes to Joshua is described as an angel of the Lord, as the angel of the Lord. Uh, so every time you see the angel of the Lord, almost every single time, the angel of the Lord, you're talking about the second person of the Trinity. You're talking about the son before he became incarnate in Jesus Christ at Bethlehem. You're talking about interacting with humans, interacting with mankind. It is this, the word angel just means messenger, whether it's divine messenger or human messenger. This quote unquote angel of the Lord is distinct from the Lord, but he speaks as the Lord. And so you see he is distinct from the father, but he is still God in his person. Y'all with me? Everybody understand that? We could go through, we could go through all the text. If you want to study more on that, we can do that. But the angel of the Lord here, it says the angel of the Lord uh, found her and the angel of the Lord found her by a fountain of water in the wilderness of the way to shore. And he said, Hagar, Sarah's maid. He doesn't say Abram's wife. He says, Sarah's maid. Whence camest thou? Where do you come from? And whither wilt thou go? Where are you going? And she said, I flee from the face of my mistress, Sarah. Uh, It's almost like she is justifying justifying herself. Did, did he not know where she came from or where she was going? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he knew. Why did he ask? He wanted her to tell him. That's exactly right. He wanted, he wanted her to tell him what's going on. He wanted her to verbalize. And she it's almost like she justifies. Well, I'm running from them. They treat me harshly. They treat me bad. And so I'm running. And so what this angel, it says, And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Return to thy mistress and submit thyself under her hands. That's a pretty rough command, isn't it? Do what? Return to your mistress and you submit to her. And this is what he says. The angel of the Lord said to her, who will multiply thy seed? I will multiply. This angel of the Lord speaking as God says, I will multiply the seed exceedingly that it shall not be numbered for a multitude. You you won't be able to count it. It'll be so many. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Behold, thou art with child. Thou shalt bear a son and shalt call his name Ishmael because the Lord hath heard thy affliction. The word Ishmael means God hears or God has heard. That's what Ishmael means. And so I want you to think about this. God tells her, go back and submit to Sarah. It's a tough command. You're going to go back. You're going back to going back to all the hardship, all the things that you're running away from. The reason because I have plans for you. Now, it's amazing to me. It's amazing to me. This girl, this girl, Hagar, she's an Egyptian. She's not. She's from the line of Ham. She's not from the line of Shem. She's not part of the covenant community. She's not part of the, the, the line of promise, the promised seed or anything like that. But yet God cares for her. God cares for her and her suffering. He comes to her in the wilderness. He says, you know what? You've been treated wrongly. I am going to bless you. And he gives her this promise that says, uh, and I will, where is it at? Uh, 10 says, I will multiply thy seed that it shall not be numbered for a multitude. That is the only time in scripture that that promise is given to a woman 
But it's the only time that promise is given to someone outside the line of promise. It's given to Abram's like six times in the Old Testament. I'm going to multiply you exceedingly, you know, the sand of the sea, the stars of the sky. Nobody's going to be able to count your number. It's given again to Jacob. It's given again to Isaac. It's given again. That same promise is given to them. This is the only time that it's given to someone who is not in the covenant line, who is not in the line of promise. And it's given to this maid. He's saying, He's saying, I'm going, to, I'm going to make a nation of your son. You're going to call him Ishmael, which means, which means God hears. Now, think about that. That's a name that they're all going to remember. They're going to remember. Hagar is going to remember every time she calls that boy's name. Ishmael, where are you at? That God hears. God heard your suffering when you were in the wilderness. God heard what was going on. This God that Abraham serves is not like the gods of Egypt that Sarah probably served in when she was in. This is a real live God who hears when you suffer. But what happens, what would you think if you were Abram or Sarah and they're going to go back and the baby's going to be born and you're Abram and you start yelling, Ishmael, where are you at? God hears, God hears you too, Abram. God hears what happened. You know, God hears you leaving your responsibility as patriarch of the household. God hears you, Sarah, and your idea to use worldly means in order to fulfill his... God hears everything. God hears. Yes? Almost as if she didn't have a choice as to what happened to her. Because... Hagar or Sarah? Hagar. Hagar. You know, because he comes to her and feels sorry for her and says, I'm going to bless you anyway just because... You know, he didn't tell her this, but I kind of feel like that. Just because you were such a good servant to Sarah and Abram, and you didn't have a choice as to what happened, you know, because it really wasn't Hagar's choice. Sarah. No, she was a slave. That's right. Yeah. You know, she was supposed to be honorable and respectful and do what her mistress told her to do. Right. Which is what she did. She gave herself to Abram. Right. You know, so it's as if God said... You didn't have a choice in the matter, so I'm going to bless you just for being honorable. Yeah, and and you can see that in the text. It doesn't say Hagar said, okay. It said Sarah took her and gave her to to Abram. When when the angel of the Lord, when the second person of the Trinity said, I will bless you, is he blessing her because of his mercies? Oh, yeah. Or is he blessing her because... This child is part of Abraham. Yes. Um, he is blessed. Let me just say he's blessing her because of grace. God blesses no one other than because of grace because none of us deserve it. Oh, I know. But he is going to use he's going. He has a purpose for Ishmael. And that purpose is, you know, in the line of Ishmael, it's not going to end up good. It's it's going to it, it's going to be a. Uh, I don't want to say a punishment, but a it's going to be a um, a result of Abram and Sarah's disobedience that this line's going to come forth. But he is going to be a son of Abraham. I mean, he is going. He's not going to be the promised seed. We're going to see that in the next chapter. He's not going to be the promised seed. He's not going to be the line of promise. He's not going to bear the covenant of God. But he is going to be the son of Abram, and God is going to tell Abram in the next chapter, he's going to expand the promise that he gave Abram. 
At first, he said, you're going to be a great nation. You know, you're going to have lots of sons. In the next chapter, he's going to say, you're going to be the father of many nations. Not just one nation, but lots of nations. That's when he changes his name to Abraham. And so a nation is going to come from Ishmael. And of course, he describes Ishmael here as not going to be a real pleasant guy. You know, he says... Um, Angel of the Lord said, verse 11, Behold, thou art with child, you shall have a son, call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has heard your affliction. And it says, and he will be a wild man. The, that word means a wild donkey, like a, uh, a wild ass, you know, a donkey. And his hand will be against every man, and every man's hand against him, and he shall dwell in the presence, which means against. He shall dwell in the face of, which means he'll be, he'll be you know, like when you get in somebody's face, uh, against all his brethren. Now, that's all. We, we, we read that and we like, this guy's going to be rebellious. He's going to be independent. He's going to be stubborn. He's going to be, and all those things are going to come to pass. But if you're Hagar, this doesn't really sound like bad news, does it? Because I'm a slave. My son's not going to be a slave. My son's not going to be a slave. He's not going to bow to none of these people. He's not going to he's not going to stand for nobody treating him bad. He's going to be stubborn. He's going to be against all the, you know, he is going to be a free man. He's going to be a stubborn, independent, you know. And so this is almost kind of good news to Sarah. Of course, we know it's not going to end up good, but to her in her mind, she's a slave. She's subject to all this. But my son is not going to be that way. She's God's telling her you go back because your son is going to be independent. He's going to be free. He's going to be he's going to be against all these people. He's going to fight against them. He's going to be wild and uh, you know. And I say that from her point of view, but you know, reading it from from our standpoint of view, though, it almost looks like Ishmael didn't have a chance before he even got started. You know, he was. It's almost like he was born cursed. You know, mm-hmm. he's going to be a rebel, and you know, and. And but that's with, God's plan. I know, that, but that's what I'm getting at. Is it's like you got to look at the big picture, then you got to step back and look at the even bigger picture. Well, and if you see, I think I put it in the outline that you can see the beginning of the fulfillment of this in yeah. Genesis. What did I put Genesis 25. I wrote it in there somewhere. Uh, 25, 17 through 18. 25, 17 through 18. You'll see Ishmael settled. Uh, he settled away from his brothers and he was against them or something like that. Did I write the verse down? Or did I just say 25? You said a partial fulfillment. If y'all are not getting that outline, I put a lot of the stuff that we can't get to in the outline, so you, you might want to read it before you come. Is the verse there? Read it. These are the years of the life of Ishmael, 137 years, and he breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people. They settled from... Havilah to Shur, which is east of Egypt, and goes towards Assyria. He settled in defiance of all of his relatives. He settled in defiance of all of his relatives. So you can see, even from there, he was he was in the face of all of his brethren. Um, Ishmael is going to be a child of Abraham, but he is not going to be the promised seed. Uh, last verse, and we'll go. We're, we're running a little late. It says, um, and, and wherefore the well, and she, uh, 13, and she called the name of the Lord that spoke to her, thou God that seest me. That's uh, El Roha, El or Roi, however you want to pronounce it. Um, she names God. She trusts God with her mouth. She names him the one that sees me, the one who knows my affliction, the one who knows 
knows me uh, and says, uh, for she said, have I also here looked after him that seeth me? And then she names the place where God met her. Uh, wherefore, the well was called Beer Lahai Roy. Behold, it is between Kadesh and uh Bered, and so uh, he she names it Bir Lahiroi, which means which means uh, the well of the God, the living one who sees me, the well of the living one who sees me. So what you see here is that even even though even though she's alone, even though she's in the wilderness, even though she is uh, she is suffering and afflicted, this this God of grace comes to her. She he doesn't have to. She's not part of the covenant line. God has made no promise to her before now, uh, but yet he sees her affliction. She is bearing a child of Abraham, although he is not the covenant promised child. He is a child of Abraham, and so God comes to her with grace. He comes to her with mercy, and she recognizes that this is the true God that sees my affliction, and she names her son Ishmael because God hears when I call upon him, and she names the place where God uh, met her and says, this is, the, this is the place of the living God, and and what does she do? She obeys. She goes back. And Hagar, went, uh, Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called his name, which, which Hagar bare, Ishmael. Ev- evidently, she told him about her experience. He names him Ishmael. God hears. And Abram was fourscore and six years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to him. And so, what is that, 85, right? Is that right? Four score? 86. 86. 86. Excuse me. I'm not a math major. And so she obeys, names him Ishmael. Now there is some discussion that Abram might have thought that this Ishmael is the promised seed, the promised child. And we're going to talk about that next week. Okay, is there any questions? The point of the text is you cannot, the ends don't justify the means. You cannot use sinful means for good and think that God is going to bless that or God is going to do that. But in the same sense, God is going to fulfill his word. So even though all of this happened, this is a, Ishmael is a son of Abraham and God is going to bless him even though he's not in the covenant line, not in the covenant promise, and even though he's going to end up rebelling against the entire deal. Y'all with me? Okay, Lord, we love you. Thank you for your word. We ask that you'd be with us as we go into service and that you would uh, you would use your word for uh, for good, that you would prepare our hearts for it, and that you would... Uh